It's like, Hitchcock. Hitchcock is fine. He's had 60 years of people loving it. Yeah. And here comes Kristen. Yes. I don't like it. It's okay. weird. Welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. I'm her little brother, William. And today we are doing an Alfred Hitchcock double dip. We are going to be talking about the movies Psycho and The Birds. That's right. These are probably two of his most famous or most well-known movies, mm-hmm. I guess I should say. Um, but we've never uh, taken a look at these. I, I've, I've still, to this point, never even seen The Birds. Yeah. And you hadn't until today, I no, think, right? No, that's right. Yeah. So this was a topic suggested to us by our listener, Tad Stone. At Tad Stones on Twitter, uh, creator of uh, Rescue Rangers That's and Darkwing right. Duck, and writer of Hellboy stories, and yep. yeah, uh, all, actually, the cover art for this week's episode mm-hmm. was created by Tad Stones when he recommended this topic to us. I know he made it as easy as possible for us to do the show. Yeah, he was so, like, "I got the art for you and everything." Absolutely. So, like, a, a storied creator has now created the artwork for our goofball little show. Yeah, totally. It's awesome. <laughs> Can you believe it? I can't believe it. So thank you, Tad. It was a really good suggestion, and the artwork is really awesome. Yes. Now, speaking of artwork, I think we have talked on the show before a few weeks ago about how our listener and Patreon friend Drew, longtime listener of the show who we've talked to a ton, doctored up some artwork based on something Will talked about in a previous episode. Will was saying that he thought it would be really weird and funny if he got like a locket at a thrift store. Actually, it was in our thrift store episode a handful of episodes ago. And he opened this locket and there's a picture of, you know, a man from Times of Yore, but it has Will's face. Oh my God. So then Drew took the liberty of doctoring up old photos that are part of the public record and inserting our faces into them, which is so funny and so weird. And so we got in touch with Drew and we licensed this art from him to make merch out of. So right now, if you go to tpublic.com slash user slash gttupod, you can get any manner of things that have Drew's artwork on it and have kind of us on them. I'm definitely getting like a notebook. Of the yeah. of the artwork of an ancient form of me with crossed eyes. It's really awesome. I, I am so excited. They're also like evil mm-hmm. Victorian children mm-hmm. versions of us, almost like we were somehow you know, like dastardly twins. Yeah, so there's a solo Will, a solo me, and then us together. Yeah, and uh, the solo Chrissy is uh, a little portrait of a girl with giant bat wings. Yeah, it's awesome. Almost like Kristen's ancient ancestor is like an eldritch god. Yeah. I think I've been labeling Maybe these. Maybe we should make another merch thing of that real picture of me from when I was a little kid dressed like Samantha. Yeah, we can from, do that. If anybody cares about having shirts with us on them, like well, a ton. there's already you know, a shirt with you on it, you That's narcissist. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It's true, that running for the ruffle shirt. Stop talking bad to me, William. You're going to send me running for the ruffles. It's true. Go to tpublic.com slash user slash GTTU pod. There's all manner of bizarre Guide to the Unknown stuff out there right this second. Go, go, go. Fly, fly. That's right. Okay. So let's start with you. Let's yes. talk about Psycho. Okay. Now, I want to say Psycho as a topic, you and I have discussed not infrequently, Yeah. Because Psycho, for those of you out there who may not know, I'm a big fan of saying this. Maybe I've been saying it for so long it's no longer true. But Psycho is actually a whole franchise. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people consider Psycho to be the one Hitchcock movie. But no. In fact, it is based on a book written in 19... 
59 Mm -hmm. by Robert Block, Psycho the Novel, which in turn is theoretically based on the crimes of a killer named Ed Gein. Right. And it went on to spawn not only Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho film, but there was then Psycho 2 the book, Psycho 2 the movie, a third book called Psycho House, Psycho 3 the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, a fourth Psycho movie that was a TV film called Psycho the Beginning. There was a Bates Motel TV yeah. series that you know, was. Rihanna was on Bates Motel for like one episode. I do, but different Bates Motel. There are what? two different shows called Bates Motel. What? You didn't even know this? Maybe I can just jump to that section real quick. Sure. 1987, Bates Motel. This was an attempt to turn oh, the Psycho franchise into a TV series. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In it, Bud Court plays. The former roommate of Norman Bates, okay, who is said to have died in uh, the sanitarium, Bud Court inherits Norman ba- the Bates Motel mm-hmm. and starts opening it with Tank Girl, Lori Petty. Lori Petty. Who's Bud Court? What else is he in? Uh, he played God in Dogma. He was in Mildred and Peter, or whatever that movie is about an old lady and a boy that fall in love. Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude. Okay, gotcha. Um, Doesn't Alanis Morissette play God in Dogma? She, Kristen, come on. Okay, all right. She plays the ethereal true god. Bud Court is is god in human form. Man, I don't remember that at all. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Okay. So, um, yeah, that that TV series. Now, you would think that the DNA of Psycho, I think the, the thing that everybody knows about Psycho, is serial killer who dresses like mother or mm-hmm. believes he is mother murders people who stay at the motel. Right. Right. Psycho, the book and the movie, both are the the truest form of that story, the origin point of that story. But if you look at this as, yes, a franchise, that you would think would be the main ingredient. Somebody running the motel is killing people who stay there, some sort of identity mishmash. Mm-hmm. No. The Bates Motel TV series that they first tried to make has Bud Court learning that the Bates Motel is haunted. Right. And he sees the ghost of a young Jason Bateman. And they learn a, a really emotional lesson about oh. life and death on the show. Huh. It's it's a supernatural show. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Weird. But then, yes, the, the well-known Bates Motel series would later come out in 2013 mm-hmm. uh, with Freddie Highmore. And this was very much a, a sort of a television recreation of or reimagining of. The events of Psycho the book and Psycho right. the movie. And much expanded. Much. Oh, yes. yes it went yes, for yes. like five seasons or something. Yep. And uh, the, it takes five seasons to tell the story of the original book mm-hmm. and the original movie with a lot of embellishment and, you know, drug running plots and a uh, mm-hmm. whole manner of things that are not part of the point of why you want to watch that show. Yeah. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, let's talk about... Um, Let's talk a little bit about the origin of Psycho as a story, because you and I have certainly talked about this this concept a lot. We actually covered Psycho book one, two, and three on our old podcast, Book Club Schmuck Club. I'm going to have links in the show notes for everybody if you want to listen. Bear in mind, a long time ago, a very different kind of show. Um, there is cursing on that show. I don't know. Go in at your own it, 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 at your own peril. Mm-hmm. But we covered Psycho in episode seven. Psycho 2 took us two episodes, 63 and 64. In episode 89, we covered Psycho House. We also guested on the podcast, Books in the Freezer, 
It was episode 80 where we talked about the trilogy of Psycho books. But, of course, there is a fourth Psycho book that came out in 2016 called Psycho Sanitarium. Right. Yes, I did read it. I know No, we've did. never talked about it. Moving on. So, Ed Gein is supposedly the beginning point for all of this. Ed Gein is a killer who lived in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And his famous crimes were discovered in 1957, two years before the release of the book Psycho. Yeah. Ed Gein was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield Ghoul. Mm. And what he did was he murdered two women that are you know, widely agreed upon. He murdered these two women, a tavern owner named Mary Hogan. There is a Mary in Psycho, mm -hmm. um, known as Marion yeah. in the uh, film, and a hardware store owner named Bernice Warden. There is a hardware store owner yeah. in Psycho, both the book and the movie. The wackiest thing is that um, what they discovered of Ed Gein was that he had been robbing graves, mm -hmm. taking body parts, and fashioning them into household objects. Yeah. So he had a lamp where the skin was a human face. He had a, a, a belt that was made out of a number of things. Nips, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right, Kristen. Very good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Makes it sound like we're on like, uh, on like prime time. Yeah. That's right. Um, oh, by the way, content warning, I guess. This is all pretty gnarly. Also, we're going to spoil both Psycho and the Birds. Yes. So anyway, the big thing that they say he was doing was that Ed Gein had a troubled childhood and an overbearing mother. Mm -hmm. They say that he was eventually stealing body parts and trying to assemble a suit that he could wear of human female skin to become his mother. Right. Obviously... Psycho as a story about a, a, a guy who had an overbearing mother um, who keeps her dead body around um, and effectively becomes her psychologically feels like it's very much based on Ed Gein. Yeah. The craziest thing, though, is that supposedly not the case. Mm -hmm. It's not the case at all. At the time of Ed Gein's arrest, Robert Block the author of Psycho, was living 35 miles away. And this is, we're talking about the 50s here. Yeah. So I'm sure the news traveled, mm -hmm. but it's not as though he would have woken up and seen a report on TV necessarily, you know, or read it on the internet, obviously. Yeah. Um, Block was not aware of the Gein case at the time, but he began writing um, with, quote, the notion that the man next door may be a monster unsuspected even in the gossip-ridden microcosm of small-town life. So, so weird. he had already decided on something that was very similar to what was going on with Ed Gein, which yeah. makes me think very much of that notion of ideas being on the air, mm -hmm. which really, I, I... He had the same ideas as Ed Gein? <laughs> well, I, so, it, Ed Gein grabbed them before he did? Right. That oh, <laughs> sounds really awful. But like truly just the, the idea that like concepts are ethereal. Mm -hmm. Maybe not that the idea of killing women I and know. pretending to be them, but rather that something enormous mm -hmm. had come to light was changing. Right, maybe like the aura of that exactly. somehow crossed over into Robert Block's aura. Exactly. I, I I do and don't believe that ideas are completely random. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm a complicated boy. Of course. I believe that ideas can float to you. Mm -hmm. Um, The novel, one of several Block wrote about insane killers, this is from Wikipedia, was almost completed when Gein and his activities were revealed. So, Robert Block then inserted a line in the book alluding to Ed Gein. (laughs) So you switched from Gein to Gein. I don't did know you which it that? is. I didn't oh. notice that actually. I don't know which it is. <laughs> but so either. basically, most people say Gein. Ed Gein. Gein yeah. Gein. Gein. I'll stick with Gein, uh-huh. or I'll try. We'll see. <laughs> so um, basically, at a certain point, Robert Block became aware of Ed Gein and what he had done, and went, "Oh, my book is very similar." Maybe I should call it out myself yeah. that it's very, very similar. Yeah. Um, Block was surprised years later when news of Gein's living in isolation with a religiously fanatical mother came to his attention. So it's even after the book, all of those details. Block, quote, discovered how closely the imaginary character I'd created resembled the real Ed Gein, both in overt act and apparent motivation. Again, so weird. these things can easily be coincidence. Mm-hmm. But I don't totally, necessarily believe strange. that they... Are or at least the idea that like he was working on something similar and then meshed the reality into his story mm-hmm. is that still coincidence at that point? I, I don't I don't know. If you're right. doing it consciously, yes. If you're doing it unconsciously, mm-hmm. who yeah. knows? So the movie, the movie Psycho, basically. There was an assistant working with Alfred Hitchcock who read the book mm-hmm. and went, ooh. I bet Al would really Hitch like this. Would love this one. Hitch would be into this. Mm-hmm. And so they uh, sent the book to him or showed the book to him. He read the book and immediately went, purchase every copy of this book. <laughs> they bought all the books so that nobody yeah. could find out what happens That's in amazing. it. It's amazing. Which I still think is probably both enormously exciting mm-hmm. as a writer and probably insanely frustrating. Yes. I You're think making sucks. it so that nobody can read my book. <laughs> I think it sucks. I'm glad you like my story. Yeah. My writing mm-hmm. is also something I'm proud of though. Yeah. Not just the story. By the way, the book is it's so good. Incredible. Yeah. I, I've read it now a few times and I still find it to be chilling in a way the movie, uh, different from the it's movie. It's very different from the movie. It's not quite as far as, like The Shining, the book being different from The Shining, the movie, but like not completely dissimilar. No, and they're, honestly, they're both great, but they're different. The language of a book and the language of a film are so mm-hmm. different. I think they both are absolutely uh, masterpieces. They rule. Really, they're both incredible for a variety of reasons each. They, they each deserve the limelight. Mm-hmm. Um, what's weird is that Psycho, I th- we all know Psycho is a, a black and white film from 1960. I think the the modern interpretation is, boy, what an old movie. It was from the days of black and white. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Yeah, right. Movies had been in color for a long time. Mm -hmm. It was black and white for budgetary reasons and for production reasons. It would be easier to hide things like blood in black and white to avoid censors. Mm -hmm. And also black and white film stock was cheaper than color film stock, which was a very important detail because Paramount, who Hitchcock had a, a, a... uh, contract with did not want him to make the movie yeah he struggled to get this film made they said initially um first of all the book is too repulsive <laughs> and quote-unquote impossible for film yeah um and they said that uh you know he's got too many competitors at this point by 1960 alfred hitchcock weirdly for psycho being the alfred hitchcock film 
It was one of his last movies. Mm-hmm. It was like in the last 10 movies he ever made. Yeah. Prior to this, he'd already made Rear Window, Vertigo, Rope, Dial M for Murder. He'd already made movies for 40 years yeah. before this point. So he said to Paramount, I need to make this movie. I will waive my fee. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not good enough. I will use black and white stock. It'll be cheaper. Okay, that's not good enough. I didn't know that he waived his fee. Oh, yeah. Wow. He waived his fee in exchange for 60% stake in the movie, Mm. which was a very wise move. Yes. Because this ended up being by far his most successful film. It's like Jack Nicholson having part stake in Batman. Yeah, the Batman deal. Yeah. The Joker deal. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that still happens. I've heard people debate. So like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, did he get... A piece of I that think chinchilla? it has to be his likeness. Oh, really? Oh, well, then he's I out. I think. Yeah, but he gets a cut of, like, all toys. All Wait, no, maybe you're right. I don't know. I, don't I have know. no idea. I'm not sure. Who knows? What, what we're alluding to is that when Jack Nicholson made his deal to be in the 1989 Batman movie, part of his contract was that he would have part ownership, basically, of... The, I guess the concept of the Joker. Now I yeah. think of it. So he got money. Like, you don't usually make money from toys that are made of you. He got money from, like, every toy of the Joker, whatever. But, yeah, now I think about it, I don't... I don't I've heard it both ways. I've yeah, heard people say too. that the deal is up. I've heard people say that the deal is still going. I, I think it's a I've forever deal. Yeah. I just don't know if it means every single thing that has the Joker in it. But I, I think it's a forever deal. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Didn't Robert Downey Jr. do the same thing with the Avengers movies? There was something. There was something like that. I don't know. I haven't heard that. So, um, he uh, personally ended up financing the film himself, mm-hmm. and then Paramount just distributed it. This is how badly wow. he wanted to make the movie. He ended up making it with the crew from his TV series, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Huh. So it was TV people making the movie. That's cool. Um, Janet Lee agreed to take a quarter of her usual fee. Point is. A lot, a lot of paring down and compromise yeah. to get to where they were. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, necessity is the mother of invention. And mm-hmm. I really wonder if that was part of kind of creating the magic. Right? It really like, could have been. Sometimes constraint on creativity yeah. ends up like, you know, like pressure on coal to turn it into a diamond. Yeah. Like, it ends up just being the finest thing it can possibly B. Mm-hmm. I say that as a creator who wants more of a budget. Yeah. <laughs> but like you fight your way out of a paper bag, you know? Um, so the plot of Psycho concerns Norman Bates, a mild mannered uh, gentleman, mm-hmm. tall, thin in the movie, though not in the book. Right. Played by Anthony Perkins, and he runs the Bates Motel. And one day he gets a customer, Marion Crane who is uh, coming from the big city, and boy, oh boy, she stole a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The first portion of the movie, the entire first act, is solely about her, of course. This is one of the most famous things about the movie. They set it up as if she is our main character, only to then have her arrive at the motel with the money that she has stolen. Mm-hmm. She meets Norman Bates. They have a heart-to-heart. She goes to take a shower, and he watches through a peephole yeah. as she gets undressed. Overwhelmed? Norman Bates runs away. Marion hops in the show. Uh-oh, here comes mother. Yeah. An old woman arrives in the bathroom, pulls back the shower curtain, and stabs Marion Crane to death. Mm-hmm. Norman Bates is left to clean up after mother, eventually finding a newspaper. Unbeknownst to him, it conceals the money that Marion Crane stole. Right. 
He doesn't care about the money. He doesn't know about the money. He ends up throwing the money in the back of Marion's car along with her body and sinking it into a swamp. The Marion Crane story is done. Yeah. It never meant anything. Of course, it's incredibly meaningful to theme and everything like that. But the sort of false, they refer to this as a false protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, They invest so much time in her plight. We understand her life. We understand her wants, her needs. Um, Psycho can easily, as a title, refer to Marion Crane stealing the money and going on the run. Kind of. Oh, I, it's not a mistake. It's, no, I know, but I don't agree. Well, psycho as a as a larger than life term, yeah. obviously connotes something so much bigger than stealing. Yeah, totally. She doesn't feel, you know, like I know it's not. I know that's intentional, yeah. but it doesn't hold water for me. Sure, but it, 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 her story could easily just be a drama. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But Norman Bates even has the line, the very famous line: "We all go a little mad sometimes." Yeah, she did go a little mad. She went a little mad. Yeah, she went a little psycho, and she was in the. In the in the process of pulling herself back, mm-hmm. when she's taking the shower, it is literally and figuratively her changing her mind. She's yeah. going to clean up and she's going to go. She's going to come clean mm-hmm. is what that moment is. Only for Norman Bates to reveal, oh, I'm Psycho 2. Yeah. I, I'm not the movie Psycho 2. I'm Psycho as well. I'm Psycho as well. And that's the end of her. Yeah. Um, then her her sister enters the story, and she and uh, Marion Crane's beloved mm-hmm. start to investigate what has happened to Marion. It becomes a little bit of a of a crime story, an investigation story. Um, and uh, they uncover the fact that Norman and mother are the same person. He murdered his mother. Yeah. Uh, and her boyfriend years ago, and has been uh, occasionally. Uh, putting on her clothes and her personality mm-hmm. and killing people. It is one of the most famous plots in in horror history. It is one of the most famous horror movies of all time. Yeah. And it was set up with Hitchcock doing commercials himself where he gives a tour of the hotel. And he, um, as he's walking through the hotel, he's like, it's just an average hotel room like you'd see anywhere. <laughs> and then he gets to the next room and he goes, turns on the light the bathroom he goes oh i i can't even tell you how horrible it was the 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 blood it took ages to clean out like very yeah we've talked previously on the show about a guy named william castle whose big claim to fame was the way that he marketed his horror movies and they were all about you know there's going to be an ambulance by the theater Mm -hmm. in case you have a heart attack so awesome we'll have emts at the ready to get you out of there like real sort of like stunt marketing yeah well by 1960, Alfred Hitchcock, who was the name in horror, had so many competitors like William Castle that he decided to learn from the things that they were doing, and that's where the marketing for Psycho came from, mm-hmm. sort of mimicking the kinds of stuff that William Castle would do. Yeah. He was the reason why film started to only allow you in for certain show times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just the Psycho as a production and as a story are absolutely revolutionary in so many ways yeah definitely um i want to talk quickly about the shower scene itself of marion's death um so uh i thought this was just a very interesting perspective on why it's shot the way that it is because Mm -hmm. it all of a sudden becomes almost like a very modern movie a frenetic series of cuts in the film as norman bates is stabbing the knife into marion yeah and in 1960 you couldn't show one nudity 
Two, um, the, the, the blood pouring out of wounds. Three, a knife going into flesh on screen for audiences. So the series of quick cuts allowed you to hide things like the knife right. doesn't actually plunge into her on screen. Um, the black and white was uh, Hershey's syrup instead of blood running down the drain. Mm-hmm. But here's something interesting to me. Many shots are close up including extreme close-ups, except for medium shots in the shower directly before and after the murder. The combination of the close shots with their short duration makes the sequence feel more subjective than if the images were presented alone or in a wider angle. Basically, you can convince yourself you're seeing something you're not. An example of the technique Hitchcock described as transferring the menace from the screen into the mind of the audience. That's cool. Which I just love the psychological motive of that. Like, well, we can't show it. We have to make people think they're seeing it or, or convince themselves that they saw her being stabbed. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the sound track for the movie was conducted by Bernard Herman and the shower scene was supposed to have no score whatsoever. Yeah. But Bernard Herman uh, wanted to try a piece. And it's the very classic ring, 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 mm-hmm. ring. And when Psycho, uh, when Hitchcock heard it, he was like, oh, this works so well. And he doubled Bernard Herman's uh, salary oh, that's for the awesome. film because it was so, so great. Uh, that's Janet, nice. I know. For something you it? don't have to do. I know. Well, here's, nice. here's a flip flop kind of a story. I'm not surprised. Janet Lee, mm-hmm. who played Marion Crane in the shower, uh, was so affected by the scene when she saw it that she no longer took showers unless she absolutely had to, mm. which is very on trend for celebrities today. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. If you didn't hear this week in real time, Jake Gyllenhaal bravely announced that he barely showers. Yeah. What a brave boy. Man. Yeah. All right. Listen, do what you got to do, but Whatever. I don't know why it's a trend for people to not be taking showers. Who take else? A, shower. It's only him. Oh, Ashton Kutcher and uh, Mila Kunis. They don't shower. <laughs> Did they announce that in light of the Jake Gyllenhaal thing? Yes. Oh, I didn't see that. Was that was the first one I heard. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. Huh. Oh, I saw it. And I smelled okay. it, too. Yeah. Um, so she would lock all the doors and windows, and she would leave the bathroom and shower door open. She never realized until she first watched the film, quote, how vulnerable and defenseless one is. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. realized. Yes. I saw Psycho in mom and dad's bedroom when we lived in Redding, Connecticut, alone. And I was under, I'm going to say under eight. I mm-hmm. used to say four. That seems insane to yeah. me. But I was I was a little kid. You've said that it was that I was watching with my friends and you came in and saw it or something. Are you sure? Because the only thing that I remember is mom and dad's bedroom. Okay. That's maybe the memories contaminated a little yeah. bit. But um, after that, I was so scared of the shower. Like pathologically... Mm-hmm a little phobic about the the shower. Yeah. Um, I uh, would, um, anytime that I had to shampoo my hair specifically, I would panic and, and rush. Um, and I would, I would open my eyes while the shampoo was like dripping down my face because I was so terrified. You were using no more tears. Of the, um, I, was using, I was using too many tears. Extra tears. I was using extra tears. <laughs> Jamson and Jamson's extra, extra tears. tears. It's so much cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, there were a bunch of fake reshoots that Hitchcock did for the movie because, um, censors kept trying to block it. Uh-huh. So he would go like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I reshot it. And then he'd just show them the same footage and they'd be like, yeah, it looks better this time. That's so funny. Which is what Wes Craven would later do with Scream. He would lie about that sort of stuff. Um, but here are some, uh, moments of censorship, um, throughout the, the globe in Britain. 
the BBFC requested cuts to stabbing sounds and visible nude shots. In New Zealand, the shot of Norman washing blood from his hands was seen as disgusting. In Singapore, <laughs> the, yeah, I guess they didn't censor it. They were just like, oh, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. <laughs> In Singapore, though the shower scene was left untouched, the murder of Detective Arbogast mm -hmm. and a shot of Norman's mother's corpse were removed. In Ireland, Gary O'Hara banned it upon his initial viewing in 1960. Who was he? Just some guy? He's a censor, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no. I say no. Get this out of me, country. That means nothing, Gary. I'm like 90% You're just a Irish. guy. Yeah. <laughs> You're just some dude. Yeah. I'm loud, though. <laughs> you listen. A highly edited version, missing 47 feet of film, was submitted to the Irish censor. O'Hara ultimately requested that an additional seven cuts be made, and they're amazing. The line where Marion tells Sam to put his shoes on because it implied that earlier he had his pants off. Yeah. Well, his pants or trousers. I think I may have... It rings a bell. They make a point of saying he had his pants or trousers, or trousers. off. One or the other. Yeah. Maybe even both. Ooh. Both his pants and his trousers that he usually wears together. Well, I know in, in England they call undies pants. That's true. I call them pants here. Yeah. I say little pants. <laughs> I'll go like... If, you call them pants here. I do here in the house. I know it's here funny. in my abode here. It's funny. If I'm wearing, if I'm not wearing like like pr presentation pants, I'll be like, oh, so I'm in my little pants. <laughs> That's what I say. Like I gotta wash. Who are you warning? I've got to wash my little pants. I, I usually just say because I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be honest, <laughs> I'm amused. No, I get it. I'm I amused it. by the phraseology. <laughs> uh, they also requested to remove two shots of Norman spying on Marion through the keyhole, Marion's undressing, the shots of Marion's blood flowing down the shower, the shots of Norman washing his hands when blood is visible, incidents of multiple stabbings. O'Hara wrote himself, one stab is surely enough. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, the words, in bed, when the sheriff's wife says, Norman found them, his mother and her boyfriend, uh -huh. dead together in bed. Oh. It's fine to find them dead. Yeah, right. But if they're in bed, oh my goodness. Man. And Arbogast's questions to Norman about whether he spent the night with Marion. Okay. Unacceptable in 1960 in Ireland. My God. Yeah. When the movie first came out, the results were very mixed. Some people said that the film was like disgusting. Uh, uh, someone said it was a blot on an honorable career, plainly a gimmick movie, merely one of those television shows padded out to two hours. And the Catholic Legion of Decency, my favorite superhero team, <laughs> gave the film a B rating, meaning morally objectionable in part. Oh. <laughs> Okay, that doesn't seem so bad. The Catholic Legion of Decency was cool with it. Yeah, they were like more chill than Gary O'Hallahan or whatever his name I is. I know. Um, and we are Irish. Until Janet Lee's death in 2004, she received strange and sometimes threatening calls. Yikes. Black Christmas, uh -huh. Halloween scream. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, letters and even tapes detailing what the caller would like to do to Marion Crane. Oh, God. One letter was so grotesque that she passed it on to the FBI. Two agents visited Lee and told her the culprits had been located and that she should notify the FBI if she received any more letters of that type. Oh, my God. Like, she's already feeling traumatized from the shower stuff, and uh -huh. now, the, now it's not just, like, her inner self making her upset like there are things coming in from outside isn't it just crazy that sucks um here's a room 237 esque theory i read online 
There are a number, uh, Room 237, I should say, is a documentary about the movie The Shining where people share their sort of theories. Some of them are very intricate, mm-hmm. outlandish, but I love them. Yeah, it's awesome. I don't necessarily believe them, but it's, it's an example of like people loving film and yeah, probably looking too fun. close. Yeah. But I thought this was interesting. There are a number of references to birds. Marion's last name is Crane. Yeah. She is from Phoenix. Norman comments that Marion eats like a bird. Mm-hmm. The motel room has pictures of birds on the wall. Bridget Puker <laughs> also suggests, I don't know who this is. Spelled like Puker? P-E-U-C-K-E-R. I don't know who this is. I think it is Puker, yeah. Suggests that Norman's hobby of stuffing birds, he's a taxidermy hobbyist, stuffing birds literalizes the British slang expression for oh. sex. Stuffing birds. So gross. Bird being British slang for a desirable woman. But also, he's taxidermied his mother yeah. with whom he has a questionable relationship. So, I, I honestly, I, I, I think that is probably looking too close. And I'm usually the one who likes looking too close. Mm-hmm. But I, I just thought that was really interesting. It stuffing is. Stuffing birds. Yeah. Um, uh, da, 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 da. All right. Let's, let's move on to oh, – I know. I do want to say this. Um, okay, Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee, they were allowed to improvise and, and try things out as long oh. as they didn't change anything for the camera's movement. Mm-hmm. So if the camera didn't have to do anything special for them, they could do whatever they want in a scene to yeah. a certain extent. Um, uh, an example of Perkins' improvisation is Norman's habit of eating candy corn. Is that in he's the final constantly, movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's constantly munching. He's eating stuff out of like a little bowl. That's so funny. I remember that from the Gus Van Sant remake in yeah. like the early 2000s or maybe 99. But I didn't remember that from the original. Mm-hmm. Huh. Absolutely. Which to me is is almost just like candy corn I exclusively think about with Halloween. Totally. Right? You don't eat candy corn any other time Do you like candy year. corn? I have grown into being fine with candy corn in my older years. Yeah. You? I don't care for it. I don't hate it, but I don't like it. Fair enough. But um, early in the movie, there was a moment where something that they were filming accidentally had Christmas decorations in it. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point in the movie, there's a a title card that says it's, you know, December, whatever. But then he's eating candy corn. And it almost made... Huh. It's not that you notice these things consciously, necessarily. But they almost uh, collectively give the movie a sense of taking place all the time. Yeah. Right? I or love, happening I love possibly. that when movies do that. Yeah. I think it's fun. Um, and even, I just love that there's a little Halloween DNA mm-hmm. here. I also like it when there are things that are just like subconsciously, possibly um, off-putting or could like give you the sense that something's off-kilter, but you don't even know what. Like right. a part of your brain registers that there are Christmas decorations. A part of your brain recognizes it as candy corn. So mm-hmm. while you're watching the movie, you might not be thinking of that, but something back there in your mind is like this is weird yep absolutely I love yeah, that. yeah I, I i'm a big fan of things that that you don't necessarily immediately pick up on yeah i think it's cool. obviously um throughout filming hitchcock created and hid various versions of mother's corpse in janet lee's dressing room closet oh my god janet lee took the joke well and she wondered if it was done to keep her in suspense or to judge which corp corpse would be scarier for the audience oh, interesting which i read as she doesn't know why he did it he didn't explain it i think he, he seemed didn't... to get jollies from being horrible to women yes my understanding is that he was plainly terrible to to yeah. women i think that he was um he's said to have been like truly awful to um who is it the place yeah is mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. um so yeah absolutely um and the last thing that i really want to say about um psycho is one 
my feeling and I, I watched it a few days ago for this show and once again like I just watch it and it's a beautiful movie yeah. and it's so sort of like engrossing and suspenseful even the there are long shots of Janet Lee driving mm -hmm. and uh, the way that she's looking in the rear view mirror and it's reflecting her eyes honestly that's later something that I think Tarantino would start to mimic that shot just because it's really you see only her eyes and she can look into yeah, the, yeah. what's happening behind her and just makes you feel like something is about to occur it's so suspenseful totally. and interesting but the movie is so creepy and odd and Anthony Perkins has such a childlike energy. Oh, I know. That's one of the weirdest things about it. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And I still haven't done this yet, but I have talked about this for years. I, I got a my ass has got to cash my mouth's check. What is <laughs> that? The, no, that what's worked. The, what's, that, the, what's the phrase? That ended up working. It. You would say like, uh, my mouth wrote a check. My ass couldn't cash. All right, my ass is gonna cash this. Yeah. Don't worry about my ass. Yeah. Um, I've got a big weird theory about about horror movie DNA and how there are three, to this point, three great big horror movies that each changed the game. Psycho, Halloween, Scream. Each are about 20 years apart. Mm -hmm. Each features a Loomis, Sam Loomis in Psycho. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. Dr. Loomis in Halloween. Billy Loomis in Scream. That really worked out for everybody. Each has a sort of Janet Lee proxy. Yep. Obviously, uh, Psycho was really the movie that popularized the false protagonist by having Janet Lee for the first act, and then she's killed. Then in Halloween, it is no mistake that Jamie Lee Curtis is the actual daughter of Janet Lee and is the, the main character of that film. And then Scream is very clearly playing off of the sort of thing that Psycho pulled off with Drew Barrymore's character, yeah. who's dispatched in the the cold open. They all are about men with knives wearing costumes mm -hmm. of a certain type, and uh, people um, who have a sort of uh, like a, a dysphoria or a changing yeah. personality or believe themselves to be greater than, mm -hmm. um, or, or or their reality changes real life yeah. to a certain extent. So I really think that those are a sort of unofficial trilogy of films that Yeah, I love that theory of yours. make horror what it is. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And the biggest of all, after each of these films, horror immediately went, how do we copy this? Yeah, it changed in reaction. Psycho had copycats, Halloween had copycats, Scream had copycats. They're the big guns. Yeah. Um so yeah, the, uh, that's that's really all I have to say. I absolutely love Psycho. Yeah. I highly recommend you go uh, listen to the other places where we talked about the books. Mm -hmm. um, and also of, of note, uh, we talked about uh, another movie from 1960 that is one of the first uh, slashers of all time, Peeping Tom, which we discussed in episode 151 of Guide to the Unknown in our Slasher History episode. Excellent. Very good. All right. So before we move on to talking about the birds... I want to tell you about our sponsor, career coach, Tracy Michelle Bullock. So Tracy shares advice just, you know, for free here and there as we do on her Instagram page, which is at Tracy Michelle Bullock with um, one L in the Michelle. And so we thought we would share one with you as a little bit of a tip of the week. And here it is. <laughs> Let it start small. Give your project permission to have a slow burn. Make knowledge your only expectation. 
Okay. I think this is excellent advice. I agree. I have noticed that it's really, really helpful to make goals that aren't necessarily completion Mm -hmm. of a project or whatever. So that sometimes, actually a lot of times for me, is um, a literal measurable amount of time. I'd be like, okay, rather than writing down in my journal, I'm going to finish a blog post. I'll write, I will spend one hour on a blog post because some life happens. You can't finish it, but you can usually get that one hour in. This is similar, which is like, if you go into something just being like, okay, I'm going to learn about it. And that's my only goal. Whatever else happens is an extension of that. That's pressure free. And I I would agree on top of all of that, because I think you're absolutely right about that. One of the hardest Mm -hmm. things to do in anything is get started or find the time for it. But I would also say that in this particular context, it can be really overwhelming to tackle your good idea. Yeah. Your good idea for a business you want to start, a story you want to write, anything where you're like, oh, I wish this reality existed. Um, it is very hard to jump from, ooh, what a good idea. I feel pumped about this idea to the patience it requires to actually execute on that idea. So I think that this quote to me is also about don't feel like if you don't make your idea come to life in one push, like you're not making progress. Yeah. Go step by step. Slow burn. Take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I work with somebody who's a big fan of the phrase, we eat whales with small bites. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get there, but only if you do take those steps. Yeah. If you don't start, you're not going to get to the end. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Um, so among other things, if you want somebody who can help you with that, Tracy offers 30 minute coaching sessions for free, which is so sweet that you can book through Instagram or through her website, www.simplicitydoyourdream.com. That's right. Tracy can help you start, Mm -hmm. uh, for personalized advice from a business pro. You have to work with Tracy. Make your appointment for career coaching by going to at Tracy Michelle Bullock or www.simplicitydoyourdream.com. Just for a guide to the unknown listeners, Tracy is offering 20% off your first month of coaching if you name drop GTTU pod when you get in touch with her. That's right. So that is at Tracy Michelle Bullock, Michelle with one L on Instagram and simplicitydoyourdream.com and let Tracy know that GTTU pod sent you for 20% off. Bam. Boom. Boom. All right. So let's talk about the birds. Now, William, I know you said you haven't seen the birds, right? Uh, You know, I I think I may have seen it when I was a kid, but I I did not watch it and I specifically did not watch it for this show. Okay. So I could tell you about it. Yes. Okay, the plot of the birds is that birds just keep attacking people. Birds gone wild. We don't pursue knowledge about why. Uh We just keep switching locations, and birds continue to attack at those locations. Really? Yes. We don't get an origin? No. Oh. No. We just keep going different places because we're scared of birds, and then birds show up at the next place. To be fair, we don't get a reason in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, but... Which is another sort of like, oh, the dead are rising, they're attacking us. It's about the journey, not about the what. I know, but I feel that we've lived in harmony with birds for so long at this point. It's like 1962. (laughs) I'm beset. My house befouled. It's like 1962 or whatever. I, I think that it's a question worth answering. 
it's also a question worth answering like why all of a sudden the dead have risen and are attacking us but it's not like we've been living with the dead sure. in peace and then they've turned right the birds were fine with us they were fine and now they're not they're fine and they're not so really it's like <laughs> my preferred ending <laughs> may i just say my preferred ending is they somehow protect themselves uh-huh. from the birds everything's fine they're huffing and puffing one turns to another and goes what was that all about? <laughs> I would have loved to. Smash to black. Credits. <laughs> what do you think? To, at the end of the movie. What was with the birds? <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the movie, the dude in the movie gets in the car and turns on the radio and he hears like, yes, this is a problem all in this area. We're looking into it. We all agree it's a problem. Like what? <laughs> so seriously. I Liam, like it. It's seriously that. Um. <laughs> Someone likes it? Is there one person who's like, what's everyone else? No, but that is the plot of the movie, basically. There is a a little bit of a love story. Um, first of all, all right, you're going to be able to. T- I didn't love the birds. I was like, what the hell is this? Oh, I'm movie? so happy you didn't like it. I mean, it was just. I just, I love hearing upset, Kristen. It's just boring. Yeah. I'm not even that upset. I don't, I don't understand. I guess I am. I don't understand why everybody loves it. What's going on? I was watching this. I was like, what the hell? So I'm um, going to, I'm going to have to watch it now to give another, a second opinion. People love it. Yeah. Love it. That's part of why I feel free to, to talk shit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I don't feel like I'm like, first of all, like taking a dump on some like independent artist who's trying to make it. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, your movie's stupid. It's like, Hitchcock. Hitchcock is fine. He's had 60 years of people loving it. Yeah. And here comes Kristen. Yes. I don't like it. It's okay. weird. So basically. It's weird. It's so strange. There's kind of a romance thing going on. There's this like socialite socialite lady who goes into what is not just a bird store, but a pet store okay. that seems overrun by birds. This is the most <laughs> bird heavy pet store I have ever seen they in can't my move life. Them. Apparently not. There are birds everywhere but then there's like a dog sometimes it's oh. so strange it's the dog being carried by birds <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird so she and this dude have a flirtation in the pet store and then she like stalks him down and finds him in his home which is like a long way away in a place called bodega bay goes to like she buys birds for him and then <laughs> is driving them to him just met this guy doesn't know him driving them to him in bodega bay as kind of like a joke sort of thing and like getting you back he so she's kind of famous she's a socialite and she had been in the news for romping around in uh, a fountain in italy naked the papers said apparently when you hear her say it she or you know ask her about it she says a friend pushed her in the papers made up the naked thing whatever so when these two people found themselves in a pet store together, the guy recognized her but acted like he didn't and pretended that he thought she was a shop owner and they or like shop worker and they like bantered about um like lovebirds. So then she bought him the lovebirds and drove them all the way to Bodega Bay. Oh. So she like hunts him down, gives him the birds and is like, "Oh, here you go." But they hit it off and they're cool and stuff. Um, she lied and said she has a friend who lives there and that's why she's there. And it turns out that friend actually kind of dated the dude and likes him. So they have a mild, mild, mild love triangle slash amicable friendship. The guy's mom doesn't like her. 
that's pretty much as far as plot goes besides, oh my God, the birds are attacking us. We must go to this other location. We're safe for now. The birds, they're back. Over and over and over. Okay. Until the last scene where they are holed up in the dude and his mom's house and birds just start, they're breaking down the roof. They're coming through the windows. They are going for it. And so, you know, she goes upstairs to check out the scenario, gets like totally overrun by birds, is like very upset and traumatized. And so it ends with him getting the car. And that's when you hear the radio come on and people being like, yeah, there are birds everywhere. And we know. And putting like a semi-conscious Tippy Hedren in the car and like driving her to the hospital. And that's it. So it ends with her still unwell. Yes. So, all right. I have a few questions for you because I, I just... I'm not I'm not trying to besmirch your reporting. Okay. There's got to be some r- r- reason or a thematic purpose to to this. I'm sure there's thematic purpose. But as far as we know, the birds have just turned. I have a few questions I've written down. Okay. One. Uh this isn't actually a question at all. I lied. <laughs> it's a theory. Maybe these are the birds Norman Bates killed come back for revenge. Maybe. Because we're following... It's it's the next movie you made. Yes. 1960 Psycho, 1963 The Birds. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about stuffing birds in right. Psycho, and now the birds are attacking, it's almost Norman Bates' prey... Yes. Come... Come back. Come to take their pound of flesh. Perhaps. Um, next question. Yes. You talk about how there's location after location after location. Oh, the birds are attacking. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah. When I think about birds attacking, mm-hmm. I think about the fact that a bird flies into your window and it dies. Right, and that's horrifying. That happens. Do they kill themselves to get in? Uh, you know what I mean. Do they die in the course of trying to? I bet some do. Fly into that's not really like a thing they show though. No, they do show one seagull fly into a door and it's dead. Okay. She and the guy and the girl who liked the guy that she's there to stalk um, are talking, and they hear a thud at the front door, and there was a seagull that rammed to the door. Also, when she was on her way over to Bodega Bay, um, Tippi Hedren gets hit in the head with a seagull. (laughs) 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 That's the first incident. They could have made a sequel starring Fabio. I know. I know. I was thinking about that, too. Um, Famously, famous hunko, hunky man. Fabio, Fabio uh, went on a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I think he was invited to try a he new was. roller coaster. It was before the park was open or anything. It was like a promotional thing to try a new roller coaster, I think for Entertainment Weekly. Uh-huh. And a bird flew into his face yeah. and broke his nose. So then when the roller coaster slowed down, you see like a bloody Fabio. There's a blood smear on Fabio's face from yeah. where a bird hit him. Yeah. There's also a viral video of a guy. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this. I'm laughing. It's horrible. Yeah. It's another roller coaster. And there's a camera on two people. They're like, and then smack a bird crunches into this dude's face and is now stuck in between his neck and his shoulder. And the guy goes from being like, woohoo, to going like, what it hit me? Like the, the wherewithal oh to be like God. on a roller coaster and be like, what's happening to me right now? Like it must be so disorienting. Yes. And so he's like, oh, there's something on me. So he grabs it and looks at it. And in the video, you see him realize that it's a bird. And he goes, ah, ah, and he lets it go. And you can see the bird. He, he, he lets Is it, it up. okay? And it, I don't think so, Kristen. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't think so. But you can see him fling it off of himself, and it flies off into the distance as the roller coaster keeps plowing ahead. Oh it is so 
horrifically funny. Oh my god! Oh my god. Yeah, I, I, I've got to find it. It's it's insane. Oh my god! Um, is it at least scary when the birds are attacking? It looks unpleasant. I wouldn't want to be there. Certainly, I didn't find it scary. Do you have your own history with birds? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Do I? I mean, some birds have flown into like houses that we've lived in, and you know, I just you know, you've I've, gotten them out, or dad has. Yeah, exactly. Usually, it's adhered me. to 1950s sexism rules for these things. Just you know, I, I'm just thinking about the fact that like, I wonder if maybe this is something that the kind of thing that like, it's such a famous movie. I guess here's my point: it's such I a well known movie. Me thing, you I have think. to believe. I only kind of think it's a me thing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think we've all agreed that we have to like the birds or something. What do you mean? Like know. it was it's, it was a law? Yeah, it seems plainly like not that good to me. So I'm saying it's a me thing, but I'm also taking it back. Oh my god. <laughs> William just showed me that bird video for a second. <laughs> the guy who, who oh my god, he goes right back to it. The guy unlodges the bird, looks at his friend and and does like his hands up like what the hell? What was that? And then he goes from being like what with his hands to raising it in a woohoo for the roller coaster. He's so freaked out by this bird and then his friend tries to high five him not realizing that his buddy <laughs> just got bird hand. hit in the face with a bird. <laughs> it's so insane. <laughs> Anyway. Okay, so I didn't find the bird stuff scary. Obviously, I wouldn't want to be there, but basically I found it unpleasant because there'd just be blocks of time with a bunch of frantic bird song happening. Right. And like it doesn't look that great, which isn't a criticism because it was made in, you know, 1963 and they like had to really really try and strive for this technology so i think for the time it was good it was definitely it was up for an oscar and everything but like through 2021 eyes i'm not like oh god how scary those birds okay like it's it looks superimposed on top of what's happening because you can certainly watch movies from that era that are still like psycho psycho is three years earlier yeah. and it's still as scary so yeah. i i just didn't you think it. it's a failing of the movie itself that it doesn't scare you uh, I mean, I don't get scared all that easily anyway, except for jump scares, but I just think it's boring. Yeah. Is basically my complaint. Um, the the point at which I wrote my notes, controversial maybe, this movie is boring. I wrote, a lady has been talking about sacks of chicken feet on the phone for like two minutes. Oh. So this was foreshadowing that the birds are mad, I guess. She's complaining to somebody that her chickens don't like the chicken feed that she bought at the shop and is like talking about the chicken feed for a while. And I was like, does this movie suck? Maybe? Well, I, even that, I guess, is meant to be, yeah, you're right, foreshadowing that something's amiss. Maybe the birds started getting grumpy a few days ago. Now they're turning evil. Yeah, get me in and out. I know. Why I am know. I hearing about this for get so long? Get to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I knew about this movie before seeing it is basically like all the infamy surrounding it, mainly around the way that Alfred Hitchcock treated Tippi Hedren, which you mentioned before. Um, so... There are like kind of varying reports about this, um, somewhat coming from Tippi Hedren herself. She had said originally, and also her co-star like said, yeah, I witnessed this too, that he was like kind of coming on to her and stuff. And then when she wasn't receptive to that, he was he was touching her, he was being suggestive. Oh. When she wasn't receptive, it seemed like he turned and decided to punish her for that and started being really crappy to her, making her do like a million takes. Yes. This, okay. Yeah. This is what I. Yeah. Right. So there are two 
two points during the movie that she got hurt. One point is the famous phone booth scene where she's in a phone booth and all the birds are flying at the glass. This is a ridiculous movie. Birds are flying at you everywhere. It's silly. Is it based on a book or anything? Yes, it is. Okay. It's not much like the book, apparently. But this is silly, William. Yeah. Birds just keep dive bombing everybody. Was he trying to recapture the magic of Psycho? You know, a no, similar, it like, adapted feel from like a book. Psycho. He's coming off of a, a huge success, though, is my point. I know, know, but I don't know. I don't think. Look, again, pe- maybe some people would say, yeah, he was, and that's clear because they like the movie. I just found it to be P U. Okay. Um, so there's the scene where she's in a phone booth and birds are dive bombing her naturally because all, all all that happens in this movie and they she, have one method of attack you know what i mean like yeah they're always just flying at you yeah there, a, there's little, no variance there's no, not a lot of variance possibility no a peck a poke flapping wings that are scary yeah it's pretty much it right um so she was hurt during the course of filming that scene because um some glass shattered mm. and she was cut and he apparently like didn't really care about that and then in the end scene where her character is like traumatized, she in real life was traumatized because there were supposed to be fake birds used in that final scene. And he decided to switch those out for real birds without telling her. Oh. So when she went upstairs to the attic, I think it is in the movie, and like opens the door and there are like birds everywhere, they were really like attacking her and messing with her. Oh. And she was extremely freaked out. So Janet Lee is traumatized on Psycho. Andy mm-hmm. was hiding stuff in her dressing room yes. unbeknownst to her and she doesn't even know why. Right. She has to speculate as to why. Yeah. And now he's She was torturing- like, oh, maybe he was doing some A, B testing. Right, but yeah. No. Who knows? Right. Um, maybe Alfred Hitchcock was an abusive uh, asshole. Who cares about your genius if you're a piece of shit? Yeah, totally. So that scene where she went upstairs took a week to shoot, which sucks. Yeah. Because first of all, it freaked her out, and then you have to keep doing it for a week. And the birds were attached to her clothes by long nylon threads, oh, so they no. couldn't get away from her. Or you could say she, she couldn't, couldn't get away from them. Ugh. Horrible. Oof. Um, of that scene, she said, quote, it was the worst week of my life. Um, and the the like physical and emotional toll was so strong that production had to shut down for a week afterward because she went to the hospital for a week. Oh my god. She needed like a timeout. Wow. Now something that I find kind of interesting about this, and as I'm saying out loud, I wish I had looked into the timeline. Tippy Hedren famously had large jungle cats in her home in real life. What? Do you know about this? No. Have you ever seen pictures of like Melanie Griffith like hugging a tiger as a teenager? Literally? I don't want to shock you. No. Okay. So Melanie Griffith is Tippy Hedren's daughter. Okay. I didn't know that. They kept jungle cats like dogs and cats. Like slept in a bed with a tiger. I went in the pool with a lion, like crazy crap. Maybe no, not. Maybe not tigers. Definitely lions. One hundred. I'll tell you. I've yeah. heard you're not supposed to do that. No, and people were hurt at their house, like very badly hurt. It's a crazy thing. So it's just kind of interesting that this happened, and she went on to live with wild animals. Like, no comment on validity or whatever. It's just weird, you know. I've I've got here a photograph of of Melanie Griffith, I mm-hmm. believe, spitting pool water into a lion's mouth. Yes. And this was just every day. This yes. wasn't some staged photo. No, no, op. no. This was their house. There are also pictures of them like lying in bed with them. 
this was her just spitting water into her pet ponchos. That's correct. That's correct. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, so the the thing that made it a little bit like I said, she said one thing and then kind of changed what she said in public. She later said, no, actually, things were OK on set of the birds and that it was the movie Marnie, which came after this, where he was bad. Um, I, I don't know why that happened. Whatever. Um, but either way, it was yeah. him being horrible to yeah. her. Um, I think the movie is also known for looking a little goofy by today's standards, but back then it was a pretty big deal to being able to show something that like that on screen. And they used something called yellow screen rather than using a blue screen or a green screen. And actually they had to go to um, the Disney company for help because they kept trying things huh. and they couldn't get it to look right. And so not Walt Disney, but like Disney helps them with the technology because they would have... Sometimes it would be people acting with birds or sometimes mechanical birds, but sometimes it would be just superimposed birds on top, like when they're working with kids. Yeah. Because there's a lot of birds attacking kids. Okay. That's happening okay. a lot. Um, so, like, there's, like, a birthday party, and that's the first incident of, of, like, a ton of birds coming in. And so it's birds, like, swooping down, like, busting all the balloons and, like, pecking at kids and stuff like that. Um, so they had to, you know, superimpose that on top of children who are not being attacked by birds. And your point is that it kind of looks like crap? Yeah, by yeah. today's standards. But, you know, what are you going to do? There's like, a very, very famous bad movie called mm-hmm. Bird Demic. Yes. Which is CGI birds attacking people, but they don't even, f- like, they almost, uh, the CGI is so bad that they look more like they're floating rather uh-huh. than flying. Yeah. Like it almost looks like when you have like a rubber bat on a string and yeah, bouncing yeah, yeah. up and down. That's yeah. what the CGI birds look like in Bird Demic. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, I was thinking coming into this episode, like I wonder how they could have done those effects. I guess listen, it was probably I guess revolutionary for the day, but mm-hmm. didn't age well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I think people were pretty blown away by it yeah. at the time. Um, but now it doesn't look good. But again, I don't fault it for that whatsoever. So, like you were talking about, Alfred Hitchcock is known for, like, kind of fun, gimmicky marketing things that he's done with movies. And so this one was no exception. And one of the coolest things that they did for this is that they gave out bird masks. So it'd be, like, a piece of paper with a, like, bird's eyes and a beak on it that you could cut out. And the deal was that if you wore yours to the theater at on the first Saturday that the movie was released and... This like lottery serial number was on the inside of them that was in, on the inside of the mask matched up with a, a bunch of numbers that they had at each theater. If you were able to match up just by chance, then you got to see the movie for free. All right, that part's kind of fun. Uh huh. But the bird mask you uh, have to be wearing your bird mask kind of sucks, yeah. right? Like a crappy bird mask. Yeah, it's like a paper bird mask. Yeah. Um. So let's do some trivia for the movie that I thought was kind of cool and interesting. And this also sort of this one um, kind of ties into the marketing stuff at the UK premiere. When the audience left, there was the sound of screeching and flapping birds from loudspeakers that were hidden inside of trees. Oh, when they okay. left the theater, which that's I think is very, cool. very, I fun. think that's very fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, the schoolhouse that they shot in for the school scenes, um, was said to have been haunted and Tippy Hedren said that it felt like it was haunted during filming and that the whole casting crew was weirded out by it. She said that she had the feeling while there that quote, the building was immensely populated, but there was nobody there. Hmm. And so then when Alfred Hitchcock was told about the schoolhouse being haunted, he's even more encouraged to film more and more there, which that's I think cool. is very fun. Yeah, that's very fun. 
Um, several endings were considered, and one was that um, we would pan over to show the Golden Gate Bridge completely covered in birds. Okay, you're saying that like it's lame. No, I would like that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it's it, there's there's a Planet of the Apes vibe here. Again, I do think there's something of a uh, zombie movie vibe, although zombies wouldn't be invented in their I mean, modern incarnation for another few years. As you're saying that, it makes sense, but it didn't feel like zombie stuff to me. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, also like the '50s. Granted, this is the '60s, but like the '50s were big on like a uh, 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 scientific. Or, or science fiction, animals attack type stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, very, I'm still very curious to see it, I think. Yeah. Um, are not? you, um, I know you are aware, this is a setup, but uh, the Mel Brooks movie High Anxiety? Of course I am. Which the entire film High Anxiety, I mean, highly recommend. This is one mm-hmm. of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Is the entire thing is a parody of Alfred Hitchcock. And there is a scene in that movie where they parody the birds. And I think it's that Mel Brooks is sitting on like a park bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a bird poops on his shoulder. Yeah. And he notices it and looks up. And then it happens again. And again. Right. And again. Just and he starts him out of there. He starts running. <laughs> he starts running <laughs> as so far funny. as he can. And the birds are pooping on him. And he just keeps getting hit. And the sound effect, the soundtrack is just like plop, yeah. plop. Plop, 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 as he's running and running from the birds. And it's all shot like Hitchcock mm-hmm. was the big thing about that movie is that like cinem- the, the cinematography of it was actually mimicking the cin- cinematography of Hitchcock as well. So it had the feeling yeah. of a Hitchcock movie, but it's Mel Brooks running while getting crapped on by birds. And it, yeah. it's goddamn funny. It's awesome. Um, so speaking of running, so there's a scene where all these kids are running from the schoolhouse. And the way they did that is obviously they didn't have and birds are attacking them like crazy. It's like a real awesome slot in this one and the way they did this is that they put kids on three rows of treadmills at the studio cool. so they could have them running against i guess this yellow screen but kids are clumsy so kids kept falling and flying into each other on the treadmills <laughs> that was funny that's great um Let's see. Okay. Oh, so during the birthday party attack scene that I mentioned, this is so messed up to me. I was reading this and I was like, oh, God. And then it has a minorly, I was pleasantly surprised at the ending. So during the birthday party attack, in order to ensure that the gulls could pop the balloons, because that was an important part of it, they pop a whole bunch of balloons, the birds. Pins were placed inside the birds' mouths and their beaks were taped closed. What? This I did not like. No. I still don't like it, but... One of the gulls with its mouth still taped flew away and the trainer spent hours looking for it because it would have died if it couldn't open its mouth. Their efforts paid off and they found the bird. Good. Which I was happy about. I I was kind of surprised. I thought they would just be like, oh, lost one or whatever. Yeah. So I was kind of happy to hear that at least they made sure to take care of it. At least they cared in some way about the animals they had in the movie. That was going to be one of my questions as well. I'm sure most movies- have a tag on them of no animals were harmed during the making of this film. I don't know. if I don't know. You don't know? I don't All know. Right. Yeah. All right. And this is the last thing, fittingly. The movie does not finish with the usual The End title card because Alfred Hitchcock wanted to give the impression of unending terror. It's open-ended. And we do a similar thing on this show where if you listen after our end music... 
we have a little snippet of yeah, conversation right. to imply that the conversation carries on. That's true. To imply the party hasn't stopped yet. That's right. So that's The Birds. Very good. Did you know that there's a sequel to The Birds? Yes, I did. It was not well received. It's called The Birds 2 Land's End. It was a TV movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tippi Hedren's in it. Mm-hmm, as but a, not as, as a different character. Right. One of my favorite horror traditions. Yeah, so weird. They bring back the main cast, but they're Someone not else. the same character. I know. Who could possibly care? I know. It's very weird. It's very, <laughs> very hard. Yeah. Makes it very hard to enjoy. They probably wanted a youngie, you know what I mean, for the main character. Well, but you can at least say, like, you can at least have her go, like, I've seen this before. Yeah, right. No, she's somebody totally well, different. I've seen this kind of bird activity before. <laughs> We still don't know why. Well, I haven't seen birds behave this way since 1963. <laughs> I was in a movie called The Birds. <laughs> it plays herself. So um, we record this show live. Tuesdays at 7 o'clock Eastern. We've changed our time. Get into it. But that means that as we're talking right now, we have a live chat of people who are listening to us speak. One of whom is Tad Stones, who suggested this very topic uh, for us this week. So I asked Tad in the chat, I said, I would love to hear your rebuttal to Kristen's opinions. Okay. Because I want to know if you took a listener's suggestion Mm -hmm. and then dumped all over a movie that they love or something. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. impossible. But I had to be true to myself. But here's here's what we've got from Tad Stone, which is fantastic. He says, audiences were scared at the time. Not to psycho levels, mm-hmm. though. So I, I forgot to say this. Um, reception was mixed. I'm yeah. not alone in thinking that this is right. Birdie Doo. <laughs> I believe that was on the cover of the, the Daily Post. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Ted Stone says, my Hitchcock insight. I went to college with Alfred Hitchcock's granddaughter. Hmm. He used to call them on Christmas Eve in the persona of Alfie the Elf. That's all I got. That's cute. That's very sweet. That's very nice. Thank you, Tad. Thank you very much, Tad. Thank you for the suggestion. Yeah. I love, honestly, the fact of the matter is, I love talking about horror movies. Me too. And I love seeing Kristen upset about something that she had to watch. Luckily, it wasn't too long. Kristen, before this show, also posted on Instagram. (laughs) She was like, before I had even spoken to her about any of this, I was like, oh, I know what I'm in for, and I can't wait. (laughs) Because I thought we were both going to love this. I love Psycho. I was expecting to like it. It could have been a new... Yeah, totally. A new discovery of... People love it. So I was like, oh, I'm just catching up. But I was so pumped when I opened Instagram, and what you had posted was, this is... uh, The birds is so weird. This is the only good part. Yeah. And it was Tippy Hedren. <laughs> just look. It's so strange. Disjointed okay. shots. So a bird flies into a dude who's filling up his car at a gas station. He falls over. And so then the gas spills and makes its way over to another car. And this guy gets out of the car and lights a cigarette and drops the match. And like I'm laughing because... Uh, Tippy Hedren and some other people are inside this restaurant being like, no, don't drop the match. And he's like, what? Huh? <laughs> and drops the match and like explodes. So it's so strange. They have these these um, reaction shots where it's just Tippy Hedren's face like moving by degrees. So she's like all the way to the left. You see explosion. Slightly more to the right. Explosion. Slightly more. Explosion. All the way to the right. Explosion. It is it is very bizarre. It's looking. very goofy. Um, it looks it looks like a a comedy. And then it, that's the only time I woke up. I was like, oh. A comedy of errors, straighter. perhaps. Yeah. Uh, it is it is quite bizarre. But I think we all, if you like the birds, I think we all owe M. Night Shyamalan a debt of apology. Why? 
for dumping on the happening and then being like, oh, the birds is incredible. Well, at I, least some stuff happens in the happening besides just running to other locations to avoid the wind. Listen, that is what happens in the happening. And he yeah, intentionally knew he was doing on. that. Yes. And everybody gave him a hard time. Yeah. There's a little more going on than that. This was seriously just <laughs> new house birds, new house birds. Someone's died. Birds. I, I do. Eyes think, pecked out. Birds. I do think it's kind of funny. The idea that, um, <laughs> The structure of this movie, its first of all, it's called The Birds. Yeah. Um, you know what you're getting yourself into. It's going to have something to do with birds. Mm -hmm. The second birds attack the first time, I bet, again, I have not seen it, I bet what they do is swoop, caw, and peck. Well, the first time a seagull just flies straight into Tippy Hedren's forehead. That's <laughs> the first sign that yes. something's wrong? Yes. That's like Elaine on Seinfeld when a bird flies into her head. <laughs> like it couldn't, couldn't, what does he say? Like he couldn't avoid it. Like he couldn't avoid it. It just flew right into your head. It's like he couldn't avoid it. <laughs> the, the Somebody told her she has a big head and all of a sudden it starts coming true. Yeah. Um, but so my point is, you then move to location two. Oh, I bet we're safe now. Nope. Audience member. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> birds. <laughs> They're going to yeah, do what birds like, do. They're going to swoop, caw, and peck. Make contact with the outside world. Tell someone. They're just in their right. own community running from birds. My point is we know exactly what the threat is, and we know everything they can do. And even if you get to a new location, you know what's going to come get you. Yeah, sometimes it's different kinds of birds. It's like there's a lady who shows up and like explains the difference between crows and ravens. I actually kind of liked her. Um, it's just, just. I would think that a modern version would would be like you know, and I know I know what I'm about to say is really stupid. I know it, but like you imagine that maybe it starts with like a little sparrow, okay, a little teeny chickadee, right? And then uh, you have to have like a, a diverse number of locations, mm -hmm. I, I do think. I, this does seem to me like a, you've got to get from A to B to save somebody, right? But it does feel like it has to culminate in a big bird. <laughs> that there is a genuine, large yeah. aviary threat. Now it's an eagle, an American bald eagle. Rather than a big bird, they went for a lot of little birds. The most amount of birds we had seen to that point. Okay, fair enough. But like, yeah. it's just how do you create a progression is my feeling. Because from minute one. How do you solve a problem like Maria? From minute one, you know exactly what the threat is, what the threat is capable of. Yeah, but I thought something else was going to happen. Anyway, yeah. I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. So go don't, don't watch the birds on Peacock, by the way. It's on Peacock. Yes. Is that true? Yes. All right. Uh, Tad also says, danger. Change location. Danger. Yeah. Change, lo change location. Nowhere seems safe. Danger. Isn't that the structure of a slasher film? Granted, most slasher films have an ending. Now, Tad, that is a very, very interesting point. And that <laughs> is where I think we start getting into how a slasher can have different things going on in it the slashers that i personally champion are the ones where the interpersonal relationships of the characters can convey a certain amount of weight or where they are discovering something about the killer scream is a whodunit yes. slasher there's sl it's a slasher in its dna but it's a whodunit at its core you as the audience member should be watching everybody closely to figure things out yes there is a you know you know, every 10 pages, a knife has got to come out. So, yes, there is a rote formula to it. A very simple I know, formula. I know, I know, 
everybody's a suspect. Yes. But so I wonder if maybe that was for your point, maybe that was a missing ingredient in the birds. Maybe some element not of who done it birds. No, but I, I of, know. of these characters being a little more fleshed out so that you care about their stakes and the birds are really an insurmountable weather event. You, I should also say, you're afraid, and you've said this I know, in the past, of big weather. Of being you're afraid of big weather. Yes. Global I am. change. Yes. Climate change. Yes. Um oh my God, how are we going to get away from this tsunami or the entire globe is freezing. You can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if the birds played to you, I know. more like, uh-oh, nature is different. Look, I thought about that. I was like, this seems like something that would terrify me. And of course, in real life, it would. But yeah. I just found it flat. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, honestly, fascinating. Yeah. Very fun to discuss. Yes. I do think off of your explanation of the birds, I'm, I will have to watch it. Please. It is incumbent on me to watch it and to give my rebuttal somewhere, I somehow. think you have my peacock login. I hope I love it. I hope my you hope, do too. My hope is that I love it and uh-huh. I get to be like, what are you talking Everyone about? Everyone else loves it. I but who's talking about the birds to you? Who are you talking know. to it's that's like, like I thing. love the birds? It's a known thing that people love the birds. That's like 95% on rotten tomatoes. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Very interesting. <laughs> I am just saying, I, I think yeah. that, you know, legacy films. I know, that's what I'm saying. I think we're giving it too right. much credit. Right. Um, all right, everybody. Down with birds. Down with birds. Kristen's had enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just like you've had of us. That'll do. Mm-hmm. We're done. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you liked the show and you want to help support us and get even more from us, then you can go to patreon.com slash pod. And if you donate $4 or more per month, then you get a bonus episode that comes out on the 13th of every month. So actually, if you're listening in real time, it comes out the same day as this episode, Friday the 13th. There's a brand new episode waiting over on the Netherworld Dispatch podcast feed. Not only that, it's an episode with tremendous stakes. Yes, it has big consequence for our listeners. Big consequence. Big no-no. Kristen and I are once again playing a series of horror-related games against each other. Trivia games, uh, things where Kristen and I can compete to see who's the most clever to solve a riddle, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And at the end of the episode, the winner... The winner is gifted with their own topic for the end of the month. Mm-hmm. A topic which the loser is going to hate. Right. Yeah. That's right. So if you want to uh, understand what the stakes are in full, mm-hmm. go over to patreon.com slash pod. We'll make all clear the beginning of the bonus episode. Yes. I've got a topic that if I win, you're going to get to hear more of Kristen being like, I don't get it. I don't like this. I wish I didn't have to do this. And if Kristen wins, you're going to hear me go like, how can anybody, how can anybody enjoy this? Um, Either way, one of us is going to be very unhappy at the end of the month because of today's on the 13th new Patreon episode. Patreon.com slash GTTU pod. That's right. You can also find everything that is Guides the Unknown related at GTTUPod.com. So that's links to our private Facebook group, our merchandise, um, all of our episodes, Patreon, all kinds of stuff. All so kinds of stuff, yeah. yeah. And if you would like to reach out to us individually, you can certainly do so. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen. I am at The Myth Traveler. So thank you all for hanging out with us. We'll be back next week for more psychotic stories. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll be a little bird-brained. Ooh. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld go we.
tweet, 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 tweet. I'm a bird. Uh, mother. <laughs> That's the oh best God. I could come up with. It's not bad. Uh, That'll do. That's pretty bad. <laughs>